some people love Shakespeare, others not so much. But a Shakespeare adaptation is always a good time. Constellation Theatre at 14th and T is featuring a musical called Desperate Measures. It's based off of Shakespeare's play Measure for Measure, but it's set in the Wild West. A gunslinging nun teams up with a sheriff and a saloon dancer to save her brother. Buy tickets now at constellationtheater.org. The show runs through March 17th. Once again, that's constellationtheater.org. Here's what DC is talking about. Congress is pushing back hard on two DC bills and many local leaders are letting them and a lot of locals are busy beating up on one another in the process. I'm here with CityCast DC contributor Dan Reed and lead producer Priyanka Tilvey to talk about this wrinkle in the fight for statehood. We're also talking about the best apps for tracking Metro and Logic's new rap album, which is an homage to the DMV. Today is Friday, February 17th. I'm Michael Schaefer, and this is CityCast DC. Okay, so Priyanka sent me uh, a thing from Twitter yesterday. It was an interesting smackdown between a DC ANC commissioner, Josh Jacobson, and elected shadow senator Michael Brown. And for those of you who don't know, shadow senator is a, an elected position, but basically you are the elected lobbyist on behalf of uh, statehood for DC. It's not a position that historically is regarded as a venue of heavyweights. <laughs> so in this tweet spat, Josh Jacobson cites something that Michael Brown told to friend of CityCast, Jeanette Dill, in his reporting uh, in Axios, uh, in which Brown had basically said, why would the D.C. Council send this bill up to Congress, knowing who controls Congress, uh, when they're just going to see it as a bunch of uh, left-wing extremism and they're going to nix it? We're talking about the revision of D.C.'s criminal code, which lessens the mandatory penalties for some crimes, among other things. And a second one that lets non-citizens vote in local elections. And Brown basically said, look, it's D.C. Council's own fault. He referred to them as like a petulant child. Josh Jacobson responds by saying, listen, dude, it's your job to lobby for statehood and to advocate for the District of Columbia. And the principle of the matter is that even if you disagree with the laws that get passed, we are American citizens and we should have the right to pass our own laws. Mm -hmm. And it's like politics stops at the water's edge. Once it gets up there, it is not for Congress to mess with them. But Jeanette's story is a, is a larger thing that basically says a lot of the city's elected power structure is content to have Congress, or is not doing a whole lot to stop Congress from upending these two bills. And it gets into an interesting thing of like the principle of the matter, which is we should have home rule. We should have the same rights as other American citizens. If people from Florida want to pass a bunch of boneheaded laws, <laughs> the rest of the country doesn't get to stop them. And same should go here against a sort of more pragmatic view of like, listen, why do we want to poke the bear up there? These are people who the city, for better or worse, has to rely on for quite important budget things that really are the difference between poverty and desperation for a lot of people. It's an institution the city has to rely on for all kinds of things. The bigger picture is we're at a moment in D.C. where there are elements in the council who are very ambitious uh, about passing legislation that's quite progressive and that is not, in fact, unanimously supported 
in D.C. That's fine. It's a democracy and they prevail. But when something is about quite divisive, like the criminal justice uh, revision, which the mayor vetoed and then the council overrode her veto, it's going to make the politics of managing the Hill much, 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 much trickier. So we're in this sort of like, on the one hand, it's like a stupid Twitter fight. On the other hand, it actually is one that says some fairly deep things about the D.C. condition. It uh, kind of reminds me of the seemingly one-sided conversation that Mayor Bowser has had with the president about bringing federal workers back to work. You know, the message, at least for me, has been President Biden, bring these people back to work so we can have more business and energy downtown. And it's kind of left me wondering, like, isn't there more that you could do than just sort of get on the bully pulpit? It feels like it's unclear what the end goal is. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's interesting to see how the mayor is usually such a vocal proponent of statehood, obviously. I mean, that's like a huge part of her job to push for statehood for us. But she's been really, really silent on this one. And I just think it's very convenient. To be clear, she has said it is inappropriate for Congress to be overturning local laws. It hasn't happened in 30 years. We've just had a disapproval vote that was joined by a whole bunch of Democrats who voted for statehood. Right. Which is just a sign of how the district has embraced issues that on the national level are fairly divisive. And people up there on the Hill, as well as down here in D.C., are not being restrained by consistency about the, the principle of uh, home rule. Sure. But I do think that we have seen so many times when Mayor Bowser really like goes at it and she's she's very, very vocal about how Congress needs to stay out of our business. And in this case, I just feel like she's been very conspicuously quieter. And it's because she doesn't agree with this code. But that just feels really convenient and wrong to me that like, oh, well, in this case, Congress is going the way that I want. So I'm not going to fight as hard. It is just very against the general principle of fighting for statehood here. Uh, yeah, but I mean, I guess let me I see it differently because you are right. It is inconsistent. And, you know, if you are in favor of freedom, you're in favor of freedom, mm -hmm. period. On the other hand, if you're trying to long term move the city to a position where it has autonomy, where it controls its own budget, where it's not being jerked around by Andrew Clyde, he's a member of Congress from Georgia. He's says he's going to introduce a bill to rescind home rule. This is the person who said January 6th was a normal tourist visit. I mean, yeah. these are- Classic. Like, right. But if you are design, trying to design a long-term strategy that attains statehood and avoids being subject to the whim of folks like that, you are also going to be thinking, you know, which fights are worth going to the mat over? Which, How do I preserve and expand the reputation for a responsible stewardship of the city. It's hard to go to the mat for bills that you yourself think are irresponsible. And, you know, I think if you look back at the sweep of American history, like, yes, states are empowered to pass completely boneheaded legislation, and many are doing so right now. Like a bunch of places that were territories that sought to become states, that sought to attain statehood, that kind of restrained some of their impulses around that. Like the territory of Utah, various things were promised in order to basically restrain the Mormon reputation that Congress looked down on. This is not unprecedented in the scope of American history. That doesn't mean it's just. But I do think one of the things the local media in Washington sometimes miss is the degree to which some of the bills coming through council are actually pretty radical or progressive in the context of the entire country of the United States. Yeah, I think 
hearing you talk about it, what really crystallized for me is that my problem isn't necessarily Michael Brown's initial tweet, like the initial point he was making, which is like he's arguing that the council is being too left-leaning and that we're never going to get those kinds of things passed through this Congress, which is kind of a valid point. And I guess what he's saying is, you know, as long as this structure is in place, as long as Congress needs to be the one to sign off on our laws, maybe we should be making laws that actually are going to get passed, you know? I wouldn't have a problem with Bowser saying that or you saying that or or remember the DC yeah. council saying that. Michael Brown, like we pay for the guy's office so that he can lobby for home rule. Like he's yeah. the one person who really shouldn't be able to say that. Right. Which is exactly what I was trying to get to. Like I, I completely agree or not completely agree, but I, I see where he's coming from. I do not think he should be saying that publicly. Like he is supposed to be the champion for statehood. And that's his role. And I think it's a little bit ludicrous that he went to a reporter and made this very vocal point against the council and kind of against statehood. The brand new Arbor at Tacoma is built for your most convenient urban living. Whether you want to enjoy the vibrant Tacoma, D.C. community or comfortably retreat into a sleek sanctuary all your own. The kitchens have striking dark navy and white cabinets, and throughout the home, there are wood floors and smart home technology. Some homes even have a private outdoor space. With a quick walk to the metro, you can easily head into downtown or stay close and enjoy the retail that's on-site. Located at 218 Cedar Street Northwest, the Arbor Tacoma offers brand new one- and two-bedroom condos starting in the upper 300,000s. Visit thearborattacoma.com for more information. That's Tacoma with a K. So T-H-E-A-R-B-O-R-A-T-T-A-K-O-M-A.com. Priyanka is going to talk to us about the rise and apparent fall of Metro Hero. So, okay, the Metro Hero app, before I really get into this, do both of you, do you use the Metro Hero app? Have you heard of the Metro Hero app? Do you know people who use it? I've heard of it. I know people who use it. I haven't used it. Okay. Basically, Jordan Pascal, another friend of the pod, he's the transportation reporter for WAMU. He wrote this piece about how Metro Hero is going away on July 1st. It was around for eight years. It's this app that helps you track when the Metro is coming, how busy the cars are, all that kind of stuff. And the article and a lot of response to the article as well kind of framed it as like, no, like how could Metro Hero leave us? Boo. I frankly, I don't know anyone who uses it. I had not used it myself. I use a different Metro app. And after reading the article, I did quickly look up Metro Hero and try to play around with it. And it's not in my opinion, the most user-friendly. If you want to set up a route, you have to, you know, break it down by all of the different transfers that you would be taking. The web version of it, it tells you how far away each train is from its next stop, but not from necessarily the stop that you want to hop onto the train at. So that doesn't feel super user-friendly or useful to me. I have different apps that I use, but the one that I use is just called DC Transit Metro. And I think it's great and it, it's very reliable. Buses and trains very rarely disappear off of it, which is exciting for me. What do you guys use? My uh, favorite app is one that's literally called Transit. It has real-time data, leaves on the provider, offers it, and it has maps of transit systems in each city that are actually better and clearer than like Google Maps, transit maps. Mm -hmm. So it's great because I can take it to other places. 
the website is just transitapp.com. <laughs> ah, I do like that you can use that one app for lots of different places. That's a game changer. Yeah. I don't know. I use the bus ETA site, but I think if you pronounce that as a single word in Spanish and a number of other languages, it might mean something bad. <laughs> and that that's like really practical. I live about like a mile from the metro. And so if I get off, I can look at the app, see if the bus is coming in a time to be efficient or whether I ought to just walk home. And then I, I use the Metro's own site for trains. And it's sort of the same thing, like particularly if it's like not rush hour or something, do I want to call an Uber or walk or whatever? Or do I want to take the escalator down? <laughs> Sometimes, depending on how uh, rich I'm feeling, that's going to make a difference on whether I, I take the train or some other way. And part of this uh, is that Metro is promising to make its own stuff more transparent, I guess, both in the name of helping app developers, because I think a lot of people do make their moment-to-moment -moment decisions based on what they're seeing on apps, yeah. and also in broader, more broadly in the name of helping customers. What are they promising to do? It seems like they're just promising to make their own tracking app that's supposed to be reliable, consistent, and provide all of the information users want. And Metro Hero also said that after their app shuts down, which is it's going away on July 1st, they're going to make the source code available. And the creator of it was like, I hope someone, hint, hint, Metro, actually uses the source code to make something that people want out of it. Personally, I feel like the two things that I would want on the app are just how busy is the train and when is like when is the tr this particular train arriving at all of the stops on the line and that's so funny we spend billions and billions of dollars creating these enormously expensive heavy infrastructure systems and a lot of the things that determine whether people are going to use them are really like comparatively cheap and around the margins like is there good transparent data on when the next train is coming that an app developer can then turn into something useful for you that will help you make up your mind mm. is there an escalator at the place you want to leave the station or is it two blocks away? Things like that. And, you know, these are pennies on the dollar in comparison. But really, I, th I think do, if you just think of your own day-to-day -day life, is there a bike share stand at the metro that you are going to or near the place that you're leaving from in order to get to the metro? <laughs> That's another uh, plug for the transit app. They have bike share, scooters, Uber and Lyft, like all of the things are in one app. So it makes it even easier to plan a trip that has like multiple modes in it. All right, hey, Dan, let's plan a trip to College Park, <laughs> or at least musically to College Park via the new album by Logic. You want to talk to us about it? Yeah, so Logic, he, for those who don't know, he's a mixed race rapper from Gaithersburg who got very big a few years ago, then announced his retirement, and now he's back. His new album that comes out this week is called College Park, and the album cover is a map of the Green Line. There's a song on it called Gaithersburg Freestyle. Another song title is literally the exact longitude and latitude to College Park. So there's a lot of local references on the album. I love that. I don't think that I know of a lot of artists that dig into their home roots quite that way, particularly suburban roots. I feel like you hear a lot of people rapping about like Brooklyn, right? I mean, obviously Jay-Z comes to mind, but not that many rapping about their hometowns that are outside of cities. And I think that's kind of sweet. Yeah, I think Mike can probably school us both on this, but I feel like there's a long history of DC musicians referencing places in DC. I think of like the Blackbird song, Rock Creek Park, for instance, but not quite as many about like outside of DC. Mm -hmm. I, I don't have a whole lot of suburban references yeah. <laughs> that I can think of. Although, I mean, just again, 
looking at purely as a matter of math, it's a region of about 6 million people. And the vast majority of them do not live in the District of Columbia. And given the real estate market, I think the District of Columbia is probably a place where it's not so easy to survive on a musician's income. So uh, maybe uh, thanks to gentrification, we'll actually start seeing more references to places in the region that don't have quite a, a bohemian reputation. Yeah, next up, there's going to be an album called Fairfax. Uh, you know, it's it's not that far off. There was a song in the 90s called Arlington by a band named Emmett Swimming that got kind of big. And it describes like a much grungier, hipper Arlington, ironically, than the one we have today. <laughs> huh. uh, but if you're looking for other suburban references in current music, I guess I don't know if you could call them a rock musician. They mix a lot of different genres. Spring Silver is a musician from Surprise, Silver Spring, <laughs> who just went on tour with Bartiz Strange, who is another D.C. area-based musician who's gotten really big in the past couple of years. And Red Vale is a rapper from Prince George's County. He's really young. He just turned 19, or he's about to turn 19, I'm sorry. And he came out with a song last year called PG Baby, which talks about Largo, where he grew up. I love that. I mean, in that case, he's kind of launching with this homage to his roots, and that's also really nice. I just love to see all this pride, hometown pride. Regional hometown pride. Wait, Dan, what would you make your song about? I mean, probably about Silver Spring, but, you know, someone's already taken the name. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I loved finding out that Fleetwood Mac did a song called Silver Springs way back in the 70s. I was disappointed to find out that Silver Springs is just a reference to a sign on the beltway that Stevie Nicks saw when she was on tour. And that she uses it really as a metaphor, <laughs> not about the place itself. It's something. I'll take it. I don't know. I just listening to the morning traffic report. There are places that like 90% of people never go to other than when they listen to where the traffic is, news and weather and traffic and weather together on the eights. Um, <laughs> so I don't know, maybe I would call my song Woodbridge on the Occoquan. <laughs> when I was growing up, Glebe Road was this like magical, mystical place to me because all the traffic reports talked about it. And it, I just assumed it was this like very important, significant location it has a kind of Wizard of Oz sound about it. I changed my mind. I'm going to make my song Glee Road. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, listen, thank you guys so much. Priyanka, always good to talk to you. Thank you. And Dan Reed, the King of Silver Spring. Thank you for having me. All right. And before we go, here's our DC Life Hack of the Day. You ready? Ready. Dan is so excited to hear this. The metal signs outside downtown metro stations have compass roses on them, so you can know which direction to walk. That's what that's for. See? <laughs> and that's all for today here on CityCast DC. We'll be off on Monday for President's Day. I hope you enjoy your long weekend. Our lead producer is Priyanka Tilvey. Our producer is Julia Karen. Our newsletter writer is Kayla Cote-Stemmerman. And our hosts are Bridget Todd and me, Michael Schaefer from Politico. Music is by Alex Roldan. If you enjoyed the show, tell us what your regional song title would be. We'll be back on Tuesday morning with more news from around the city. Bye. Well, you know, just so you know, the DC government uh, in a much less controversial thing is uh, under is in the midst of something called Alley Palooza right now, where a bunch of alleys are being repaved. One of them is the alley behind my house. <laughs> it has been very noisy all week, but right now they haven't started yet. So hopefully we can go as fast as, as possible so that Dan will be the only one with outside noise <laughs> interference. <laughs>